beautiful. You know, we're going to look at James chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 6, and as you turn there, a couple of thoughts I just want to, to consider, because James has been drilling down on this matter of the heart ever since we began, right? Whether it's earthly wisdom versus, versus heavenly wisdom, whether it is the things that come out of our mouth, he always comes back to a matter of the heart. And I started thinking just now, as we were singing that last song, that last week, Willie Destin was standing right here giving us an update on the ministry they, got, they are doing in Haiti. And if you all remember, we contributed uh, an amount of money towards the digging of a well. And so the update we got is they dug down 200 feet. Remember what he said last week? He said, but they didn't hit water. And I think about the things that we look to for satisfaction, to quench our thirst in our heart, so to speak, right? We know, the Word of God tells us, that it's the Lord Himself that will satisfy every desire of our hearts. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well and says, if you had known who you were talking to, you would have asked me for water, and I would have given you water that would you know, quench your thirst forever. Rivers of living water would come out of your heart, but we tend to keep digging in other places, don't we? No matter how many times we dig and we don't strike water, something inside of us tells us there's an idol of our heart that will satisfy more. What is it about that that we need to consider? And so James chapter 4, 1 through 6, it says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Lord God, in this brief time that we have together around your word, I pray for your help and for your guidance, Lord God. I pray that the word will be helpful uh, for the church family that's gathered and those who are watching at home as well, and for myself included. Lord, help us to learn and to grow from what you have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever had like a really, really good grape? Like the kind that just tastes like sugar. My mom used to say that about She'd buy grapes from the commissary on the Navy base, and she'd say, these ones, they're like sugar, right? And you'd eat them like, they're like candy, right? So you could just pop those things, and you think to yourself, wow, and this is good for me too. Fruits are good for me. But what if you had just loaded up on a bunch of dollar store off-brand candy before you get handed that perfect, delicious grape? You know the kind of chocolate that's spelled incorrectly because it's not actually chocolate, right? So it's brown, and it feels like chocolate, and kind of feels in your hand like chocolate, and it's super sweet, but it just kind of kills your taste buds, right? It dulls your taste buds to the real thing where you take that delicious, sweet grape. And the idols of our heart are the same way. We can saturate our taste buds with things that will not satisfy, that we have convinced ourselves will, and we will fight, and we will quarrel, and we will scrap, and we will scramble in order to get those idols satisfied. 
And the truth is they never will be. So consider this, everyone. Consider this. Think of two boys, two little boys. They're not getting along, and all of a sudden, you hear in the next room, they start to yell at each other, and then you start to hear, "Uh uh-oh, they're fighting right now, right? They are fighting each other. And so you go to the next room, and there is a mess, right? There's a mess all around them. There's stuff thrown all about. Shirts are untucked. One kid's got a black eye. You pull them apart, and you say, what's going on? What's the first thing that many little boys will say? They'll point at each other and say what? He started it, right? He started it. What is it about us that we love to point fingers, right? So on the heels of taming the tongue and worldly versus heavenly wisdom, James now moves to conflict. But just as with our speech and with the pursuit of wisdom, he keeps a magnifying glass on the heart. I want to give you guys something foundational before we move on. So in a book by Brad Bigney called Gospel Treason, it's an awesome book that I highly recommend, he really takes a long time. The book is about the heart idols, the things that we tend to worship instead of the Lord, the things that we tend to chase. And here's his definition of an idol. He said, anything that you are willing to sin to get, or you're willing to sin if you don't get it. Filter that through some of the things that are really important to you. Anything you're willing to sin to get, or sin if you don't get it. So let's plug something in. Let's say, for me, man, I really want approval from people, right? Status, approval. um, So we call that fear of man, right? Maybe to get it, you might tell a little lie to get it, right? Maybe uh, embellish the truth, take credit for something that you didn't do. Maybe you'll slander a person, chop them down a few pegs in order that you might go up some. Maybe you see this with teenagers sometimes, steal a credit card from the parents so I can look like I'm somebody in front of all of my friends because I need that approval. Sometimes you break the law to fit in because of peer pressure. See what I'm saying here? So things that you're willing to sin to get, an idol, right? Approval, right? And so here's a little diagram I want to show you before we jump into our text as well. This came to me this week. I thought it would be helpful. All right, so look at this. We put ourselves first, right? When we put ourselves first, when you make yourself the center of your story, everything else is in relation to you. So you have yourself, you have others, and you have the Lord. So everything is so that I can have my approval. I can have my comfort. I can have my control. Whatever it is you're living for, other people become means to that end, right? So I will love you, and I will be kind to you, and I will do whatever you need as long as it serves me. And the Lord, so my prayers that I make, my prayers, even if I'm praying for others, my motivation, that I would look good, that I would look like someone with with good motivations, I would look like a good shepherd, a good pastor, a good person, whatever that is. The opposite is what the scripture tells us should be our hearts. And this is foundational as we look at the conflict today. When the Lord himself is the center of our lives, his glory his will, what he desires to come about in our lives, when that is the goal, other people are the beneficiaries of that in our lives because we pray for them, because we seek to love them for the glory of God. And us at the very end, you know, you've probably heard this old acronym years ago, joy, right? Which is Jesus first, others second, yourself last, right? So consider that as we move forward today. Our text in a nutshell is this. It says, conflict is a part of daily life. We love to point fingers and cast blame, but the war inside of us causes the wars among us. 
When we live for the idols of our hearts, we find ourselves separated from fellowship with God, prone to conflicts with others, and deeply unsatisfied with our lives. God will never go along with our idolatry. And in the midst of it all, he offers grace in Jesus Christ. Our four points for today are these. Number one is don't take it out on me. Number two is you started it. Number three is serious business. And number four is whose side are you on? So let's jump in now with number one. Don't take it out on me. This point will be verse one. It says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Just like the little boys who said he started it. No, he started it. Not wanting to take responsibility. Not wanting to take culpability for any, time, any part of the conflict. We can be our own best PR people, can't we? Right? We are our own best communications department. The one to make sure that our reputation is unstained before other people. We're always looking for an external cause. So when this question is given to us, remember, this question is given to us by James... 80% of the way through his letter, right? He's dealt with the heart again and again and again and again. And so now he's driving this point home. He says, let's go away from the individual now, everyone. Let's look at the way you interact with other people. What causes wars among you? What causes conflicts? What causes things to go south? Consider this for a moment. People can be very concerned with our own reputation. We want to see, be seen as kind and generous and strong and competent and capable and right, right? We want to be seen as right. You ever have like a misunderstanding or an argument with somebody? It'll come back to you a couple months later, and you'll think to yourself, you know, I was right. Maybe I should text that person, make sure they remember. I was right that time. What is it? It eats at us. We want to be seen as right and capable and the one who is the authority in the room to the point of justifying our actions. So when we are in a conflict with another person, we will justify our actions in order to come across clean, in order to come across looking all right. So think about this for a second in, and of, in your own heart. When, not if, when you are in a conflict with someone, how do you tend to answer that question? What caused it? What causes the, the things to fall apart in relationships in your life? Having counseled for the better part of a decade now, um, when people sit across my desk from me and I ask that question, the fingers generally point in opposite directions. You know, why are you guys here? What's going on? Well, it's her. If she would just, if she would just stop or if she would just start and vice versa. If he'd stop saying this or if he'd stop doing that or if he'd stop spending his time in this way, right? This way and this way, right? What causes the quarrels? What causes the fights among you? Certainly not me over here, right? And you also may not blame other people. You may blame your situation, Right? My situation in life, it just stinks, right? That's why I'm always quarrelsome. Maybe my house is too small. Maybe my car broke down last week. Whatever it is, we're taking away responsibility by making excuses, taking away culpability. But so he asked the question in verse 1, and in the same breath, he gives you the answer, right? So you can take a moment to consider how you would answer that question, but just like in uh, Isaiah 1 where it says, come, let us reason together, he says, is it not this? He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? You know what he's really saying is, it's this, right? So read here so you can know. So I want to give you an opportunity. So, so think now of a conflict that you are in currently or that you have been in in the past. And I want you to drum up your very best cause. 
in, your, in this conflict. Write it down on an imaginary piece of paper. Put it in an envelope. Now mail it to yourself. Take it out to the mailbox. Strike a match and burn it. Because the problem is you, right? James is saying here, if you are in a conflict, is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. That's the problem. There's something you want in your heart, and you're not getting it, so you're taking it out on other people. I'm not saying it, guys. This is the word of God. I'm just the messenger. So it, it our own sinful and idolatrous hearts. So first, I want you to notice a connection here. So he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What causes fights among you? The passions are at war inside of you. So the conflict that we have in our relationship is a result of our unmet desires. And we tend to take it out on others. Conflict happens when we take internal frustrations out on other people. And we tend to dig in our heels when this is given to us, right? When you, are, when you come to someone for help in a conflict or you start, you know, building your team. Let's say you had a falling out with a friend, with a boyfriend, with a spouse. You start the text stream out about what this person said, what this person did. You start building that team of people who are on your side, right? If anybody dares to try to say to you, have you thought of this? Wow, did you really say it that way? Oh, I see. Now you're taking her side right? Now you're taking his side. This is the way we tend to think, right? What causes fights among you? And it's the wars within you. And so John says, in 1 John, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we're deceiving ourselves and we make God a liar. So if somebody were to bring to us and say, listen, maybe you handled this incorrectly and we dig our heels in and say, listen, I don't want to hear it. We're deceiving ourselves. We make God a liar. He says, but the good news is if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, human nature is that rather than being honest with ourselves and humbly repenting of our idols and waging war on them in service of King Jesus, we'll dig in our heels and wage war on other people in service of King and Queen us. We will blame anyone but, any, anyone but ourselves for negative feelings. So I want you to look at this. I found this to be really helpful over the years. I hope you can see it. Um, and we're going to look at it in various stages, adding in some things um, as we go. So this is called a three trees diagram, right? So we've got one tree, two tree, and the tree in the middle is the cross. All right? So in our lives, we have pressure that comes, right? That could be a difficult situation. It could be the loss of a job. It could be plans got changed. It could be that you were disappointed in some way. It could be that the kid freaked out right as you put them in the car seat, milk went everywhere, and now we've got to start again. Whatever it is, it could be. So pressure happens in life, and heat is what's going to reveal what's in the root system of a tree. All right, so I want to look over here for right now when I talk about what's going on in our hearts. The idols of our hearts, the things that we tend to live for, the things that we call the big three, control, comfort, and fear of man or approval. These things, they just dwell down here in the root system of our hearts. So when someone comes to me and says, I have an anger problem, well, actually, you don't have an anger problem. Let's see what you're living for. Oh, you don't like it when people change plans on you. You've got a control problem. 
That's what it is. And when that gets all messed up and someone moves your cheese, you get angry. You don't have an anger problem, right? We don't need to just snip the fruit off the top of this dead tree. We need to deal with what's going on here in the heart. So let's look and continue to look. Some examples, okay? So let's say the heat is on. The plans for our evening have been changed, right? Think about that. That could make you upset for all kinds of reasons. What are you living for? You're living for control. Do you love to be in control of a situation? Right? You have to know exactly the details, what's going to happen tonight. And I've been planning it for two weeks. Is it comfort? I don't want to have to worry about anything. Do not make me have to change anything today, right? Is it approval? What will the neighbors think if we don't show up tonight? I've been telling them we're going to be there. Is it intimacy? Is it money? What are you living for, right? If one of these things gets taken away... We get angry with people. We can get so sick with worry. We can start slandering people. We can start lying about things. And this is the way it comes out. And James says, what causes wars among you? What causes conflict? What causes trouble among you? He says, is it not this, that there are passions at war within you? Passions, control, money, comfort, intimacy, approval, passions. They're at war within you. And you don't get it, so you take it out on other people. That's what James is trying to say. So let's move on. Number two is, you started it. So it says, you desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So here it is, James says, you want something, you can't have it, so you murder. Okay? He uses some pretty strong language there, doesn't he? Remember, James is Jesus' half-brother, and he talks a lot. He hearkens back. We've been talking about this for a while now. He hearkens back to Proverbs 1 through 9 quite a bit, James does. Right? It's like a New Testament um, wisdom book. He also addresses the Sermon on the Mount quite a bit, Matthew 5 through 7. So here we are again, where Jesus is making our actions more of a, the, at the level of our heart. So he says, you want, you desire, and you cannot have, so you murder. So you don't have to turn there, but Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21 through 23, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, If you hate somebody in your heart, if you're holding bitterness, if you're holding rage and anger and this hatred towards somebody, this is like murder in your heart. So James comes back and he says, You desire and you do not have, and so your heart gets super angry towards somebody else. This is what leads to the conflicts in our lives. So Jesus says that harboring anger towards someone is like murder in your heart. You desire, you don't get what you want, and you get angry with others about it, and it could be the root of your conflict. You dwell on what you don't like, so you spread rumors and slander. It's murdering in your heart. But consider this. People do actually murder, don't they? And it does come out of the heart. I mean, they actually physically commit murder, and it comes out the same things. What is it that you're wanting? There's always a motive, isn't there? When you're watching a crime show, they always say, what was the motive? Was there a motive? There's always some motive. I saw on, a, on one crime website, it said the motive for murder is always love, lust, love, lust, loathing, or loot. 
Think about that for a second, right? These crimes, they always call it like a crime of passion, right? Something that you wanted really, really badly. You know, listening to John Piper this week, he actually preached a couple of messages um, on these same verses for Sanctity of Life Sunday. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. What causes someone to murder a child inside of them? Desire for autonomy, an easier life, complete an education, I'm not going to have that thwarted, freedom, approval, or to avoid disapproval. And this is where we find ourselves. You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. Verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it on your passions. So when we decide that our problems are all outside of ourselves, the last place we're going to go is to the Lord for help in general. Because if the problems are outside of ourselves, if the problem is you and not me, then you need to change. And I'm going to get you to change in any way that I possibly can, right? If I need to blow up, if I need to get a little attention from, from a loud voice, from anger, whatever it is, if I need to silence you out and ice you out for a couple of days, whatever that is, I'm going to control that person because the problem's not me. It's outside of myself. Right? And when that person can't satisfy your heart, because they simply can't, we blame them for the disappointment. We blame them for our anger. We blame them for our depression. We blame them for our anxiety, right? Without looking inside. And here's a problem with that. It's a massive house of cards. And we build it so we can come out the hero of our own story. James says, you don't have what your heart desires because you don't ask the Lord for it. And I have to tell you this, church family, there is not a human being on this planet that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. I think we need to let that sink in. There is not a human being on this planet that can satisfy the longings of your heart. They weren't made for that. They're unable to do that. Imagine the pressure on yourself if you were the one having to satisfy someone else's heart. You can't do it. We're all imperfect. We're fallen. We need Jesus, the only one who can. As one theologian put it, he says, if we were to gain the entire world as our own, we would only wish for more worlds to be created that we may gain those as well. Never satisfied in our hearts. And so James goes on to say, and when you do ask, you ask for selfish reasons. So you need to know this. The Lord is not going to say yes to prayers that contradict his word. The Lord is not going to serve our idols. If you are living for something that you believe is going to satisfy you more than Jesus Christ himself, he's not going to give you that as an answer to prayer, right? God opposes the proud, we're going to read in a minute, but gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's consider this for a minute. You could pray for a new job with a whole bunch of different motivations, can't you? Right? So, Lord, give me a new job is a prayer that can be prayed for all kinds of reasons. So, give me a new job so when I go to this 20-year reunion, I'll actually look like somebody and my, my friends will envy me. Lord, give me this new job because I've broken a bunch of relationships at this current job, and it's weird now, and I need to get out of here. Lord, give me a new job so I can support myself, and I don't need that lazy bum anymore, and I can bail on this marriage. Or, Lord, 
help me to get this new job so I can have money to support my family and honor you with our lives, give to my church, right? Help the poor. We can ask for something. We can pray for something with very different motivations inside. And the Lord is not going to say yes to prayers that contradict his word or that set up an idol in our hearts that we can chase that instead of following him. He's going to say no, that we could grow in Christ. Many times, I believe we don't ask God. So James says, you have not because you don't ask God. You know what? I think we don't ask because we know this is something I probably should not ask the Lord for. Because you know it's not within God's will to ask. I need more respect. Lord, help me to get more respect. Right? Does that even make any sense? That's the kind of thing you go to other people for. You know what? He doesn't respect me enough. So now we're in conflict. You're not going to go to the Lord for that. Because the prayer that should be prayed there would be, Lord, what is it about me that thinks I need to be held in esteem above other people? Would you help me to kill that pride in my heart? Now there's the prayer. That's why we don't ask. And he says, and you ask, and you ask with wrong motives. So we can spend it on our own passions. The passions he said in verse 1 are the very same passions that are at war inside of us. So we have these tendencies to live for the approval of others, right? To want to have just a completely easy life without any conflict, without any difficulties in life. Don't bother me, right? I work hard enough. Um, We want to be able to be the one in control. We have these tendencies. Step one that I've seen so many times in ministry over the years is this prevalent kind of call to people. Hey, you've got this sin in your heart. Come lay it on the altar, right? We don't do that here, okay, if you're visiting. But I've heard that terminology, right? Lay it on the altar. If it's a sin that's in your life, you don't simply lay it down. You know what you do with a sin? You repent. You repent of your sin. You throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ, who is the one that paid for your sin. If you live for control and it makes you super anxious all the time to the point where you're always mean to your family, that's not something to simply lay on the altar, You need to trust in Jesus that he is in control and he has the best possible outcome for your life. And yes, there are plenty of people that want to come alongside of you and to help you, to help you with comfort there and to help you to walk through this, right? And yes, he will help you with it. But it begins with repentance. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and make God a liar. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Our third point is this, serious business, right? So if we decide to go down the road, but we're going to dig our heels in and say, you know what? This conflict isn't me. It's everybody else. And we're going to chase those things in our hearts that we know, we know if you're a believer, these things are not in line with God's will. You're you're making a very serious decision. So let's see what it says here in verses 4 and 5. It says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you suppose that it's of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, chasing our idols, living for something other than Jesus Christ? James tells us here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is adultery. People here who are married, would you be okay with your spouse constantly longing for somebody else? Sure, I love you, and we'll always be married. 
But there's something in me that tells me if that was my spouse, I'd be really happy. Would you be happy with that? We are the bride of Christ. We have been bought with a Christ and we are not our own. Yet we think that we can just walk through life saying, I know better and I'm going to live for these things. He says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now, that doesn't mean being friends who are unbelievers is enmity with God. Friendship with the world. What is friendship, right? There's a dependency there. There's a closeness. There's an intimacy. There's a knowing well with each other. I think it speaks to the natural bent of our hearts, right? Friendship with the world being enmity with God saying, okay, where am I turning for all of the answers? Where am I turning for my joy? Where am I turning for my satisfaction? Where do I confide when things go wrong? Am I looking towards the things of the Lord? Am I looking to his word and his people? Am I looking to wisdom that contradicts? So he's saying, you're making a choice here. If you're choosing your own heart, if you're choosing your own desires, if you're choosing the crowd, if you're choosing the culture, all these things, says you cannot do both, right? He just said a chapter or two ago that you can't have fresh and salt water come out of the same spring. He's ultimately saying the same thing here. You can't do both both, right? You can choose one or the other. There is no middle road. Mr. Miyagi would say you get squished just like a grape, right? Right? If you karate kind of, sort of. God is not okay with men's idols. You don't have to turn here, but look at First Samuel 5, right? The Philistines had captured the ark, right? They put it in the temple um, of Dagon. And let me just read you this. I think that this is how God responds to the idols of men. So when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back at his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the household of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. If you are sick over just becoming as rich as you possibly can, do you think that's going to be handed to you, right? If you are sick over the approval of others, if you are sick over being on stage in front of people, if you are sick being, being the one who has your name read and everyone claps for this reason or the other reason, if that's the ring to you, if that's the thing that makes you say, my precious, do you think the Lord is going to hand that to you? You know what he does to idols? He cuts off an idol's head, cuts off an idol's hands, puts it in a posture of worshiping the true God, puts it on the entryway to the temple of the false idol. That's what he does with the idol. He doesn't feed them. He doesn't coddle them. He doesn't hand them over. He doesn't decorate or adorn them for us. Know that. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So pride comes before destruction. And so we have to consider then, whose side are we on? So verse 6 says this. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is pride? You know, a lot of times when you talk about what are the the idols that we live for, people will say pride. But you know, I don't believe that pride belongs on the list. Pride is the foundation of the list. 
Pride is underlying every other idol that we live for. Pride, in essence, is making ourselves God. So if God opposes opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, when we are living in unrepentant, self-exalting pride, it's making ourselves God is what we're doing. So we have to consider whose side are we on. So look here. So we looked at this a moment ago, and now I'm going to add some things to it in the last few minutes that we have together. Right? So remember, the plans have been changed for the evening, right? Down here, I've decided, you know what? Um, There's a lot of people expecting me there, and I can't believe that you have changed these plans on me. And because of that, I've gotten worried and sick inside, and I can't rest, and I'm angry. And that leads to what? The fruit then, finally, of all of that is conflict and brokenness, right? At the root of all of that, then, is what? Pride. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Has God really said He knows you're going to know good and evil. That's the problem, right? He said not to eat it, but come on already. This is the reason. Question the word of God, and out of your own pride, grab it and eat it. It's been the same trick since the garden again and again and again. You've got to have those people are expecting you, and what are they going to think if you don't show up? Wow, you're going to have a lot of damage control to set up, to send down, aren't you? Right? It's pride that is at the base of all of that. It's the root of every other sin, the root of the first sin. Scripture tells us to tell of his wonderful deeds, but we want people to tell of our own wonderful deeds, don't we? Scripture tells us that he alone is worthy, and we say, well, you know, I also deserve this or this or this. I really want this. You know what's due to me? I want what's coming to me, right? Scripture says that he is in control, but we fight for power, don't we? We fight for prestige. We fight for our voice to be heard. People need to know what I think about this subject, whatever it is. But it says he gives more grace. You see, the gospel is good news, but it's only good news if you understand bad news, right? If I come along with some good news to you and you don't know that things are wrong, it's not going to be good news to you. You have to understand the depths of this. Living for these idols, living for this pride, allowing relationships to be broken and not reconciled for your own glory and your own reputation is sin. It's sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross, that unleashed the wrath of holy God. It was paid for in our place. So do not seek to lessen it, to justify it, to say, if only he would stop, if only she would stop, give me what I want, give me what I want. Then it would be okay. No, repent of your sins. And then move towards reconciliation with humility. So you see the third the, the third tree in this story, we have a broken dead tree. In a minute we'll see the result with this living, fruitful tree. But Jesus Christ was put on a tree on our behalf. If you want to go from living for these things to living for the glory of God, bearing the fruits of the Spirit, trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. You see, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. Right? Outside of Christ and outside of the cross of Christ and the resurrection, you and I are very rightfully headed for a very real place of eternal torment, separation from God called hell. 
but God being rich in mercy, right? He came from heaven, lived a life for 33 years that you and I could never live, died a death on the cross that you and I deserve to die, and three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death in the grave, and he says, repent, follow me. I'll make your dead heart alive. Sprinkle clean water on that heart of yours. It will come alive, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, right? And not only do we have this knowledge, if you follow Jesus, you'll spend eternity with him, but here in this world, you'll become more and more like him. You'll be forgiven of your sins. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So when a heart is living for Jesus Christ and this heat happens, now, this doesn't happen perfectly, right? If you're a believer and you've been in conflict and you've dug in your heels, you can just internally raise your hand. Yeah, I see every hand go up. Okay, so when we're living for Jesus, the plans change. Let's say my life, my desire is to trust the Lord. He knows what my plans need to be, right? I know that my identity is in Christ. It doesn't matter where I show up and don't show up. I mean, unless I need a paycheck and it's my job. But identity in Christ, right? What if my desire is stewardship of what he's given me? What if my desire is to show thankfulness to the Lord in my life? Plans change. This is when, as John 15 says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll bear much fruit. People will know you're my disciples. By this, my Father will be glorified. You'll bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law, right? But it begins with trusting the Lord, and it begins with understanding. Listen, you don't have to be your own best PR person. You don't have to be your own inner lawyer. If you're in a conflict, you don't have to make sure everyone sees you at right as right. Grab onto the part prayerfully and humbly, grab onto the part that you contributed. Are there some conflicts where you're simply the victim? Very, very rarely. Very rarely. Does it happen? Yes. In general, in a world full of people with sin natures, conflict is a two-way street. One way you can know if you're one of those people in a conflict and you're just a victim, look back. Do you have a string of people and a string of conflicts? Like when you bring up various people that you're not talking to, is there always some reason that you're not talking to that person? Right? And it was never you? Once you get to two or three, chances are, I mean, you are the common denominator in these broken relationships. Repent. There's grace for that. There's a cross for that. There's a resurrection for that to make us more like Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk with someone about how to work through conflict, if you want to talk with someone about following Jesus, you want to talk with someone and say, I've not been following him. I've been a Christian a long time and I've just been running in the opposite direction. There's going to be some of us up here at the end of the service. Just grab one of the elders. Grab someone who's got some joy on their face and ask them about Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll sing together. Lord, you're good to us and uh, we just thank you that you give us grace. You know the depths of our heart and you love us the same. It's okay to admit whatever it is we're living for, Lord.
because you saved us with a complete knowledge of who we were. You didn't save us because of us. You saved us because of your goodness, because of your grace. And you've promised that you've begun a good work in us and that you would complete it, that you would carry us through to that final day, Lord. Lord, help us to remember that our righteousness is kept securely in heaven, Lord, and our righteousness is in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we struggle and as we wrestle and as we desire just to live one more faithful day, one more faithful week, Lord, expose in our hearts the areas where we need to repent and grow, Lord, and help us to be humble about that and open and honest with the people around us. Lord, help us to enjoy the grace that was purchased for us on that cross that day and this new life that is given to us because of the resurrection, to remember that Jesus Christ is alive today, and that changes everything. We love you, Lord. We give you the glory for what you will accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.